0: Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. This is Susie York, and I am so thrilled to have Danielle Travis here with me today. Danielle literally wrote the book on EOE. In 2015, she self-published her book called My Real-World Guide for Eosinophilic Esophagitis, a guide to helping children, parents, and anyone else navigate through the thoughts and feelings associated with eosinophilic esophagitis. Today, she's recently completed her master's and a celebratory trip to Bali. Her story is amazing, and I cannot wait to share it with you. So Danielle, welcome. Hello, thank you for
1: having me today.
0: Oh, I'm just so excited to be able to have this conversation and to share it with others as well. Um, And so before we get too far, I'd love to define EOE a little bit more. And I've shared the definition of it in a couple of episodes, some somewhat clinical and others my version of it. But I'd love to hear, how do you describe it when other people ask you what it is?
1: Yeah, so I feel like I've gotten pretty good over the years of giving a quick you know, one minute description of it um to people I just meet on the side of the road or, you know, walking through a supermarket. Um, so when I tell people that I have eosinophilic esophagitis, they think I've just sneezed and they say, Bless you. <laughs> right? yeah, they have no so idea true. what I just said. So typically what I tell them is that EOE is a disease that affects your esophagus. I say that Everyone has white blood cells in their system called eosinophils. That's something that everyone has. I say, but how it becomes a problem when there are too many eosinophils in your throat. So everyone has them. It's great. But when they hit a certain number, it becomes problematic and it affects what foods I can and cannot eat. Um, I say it's a lifelong thing. It can be painful, but also you can manage it and find ways to work through it and still live a healthy, productive, full life. Um, that's usually my
0: 30 second description, and most people can understand um, that basic description of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it's so true. When you say the, the words the first time through, everyone's like, "I'm sorry, what?" Mm-hmm, <laughs> and yeah. they're they're also grateful that it's shortened to EOE too. So <laughs> uh, it,
1: it's definitely a mouthful. I had to practice it myself a few times when I was diagnosed when I was
0: 14 um, to really get good at saying it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's long. Oh, that's true. So, in in I mentioned your book in the intro, and it's. It's just an amazing chronicle of your teenage years. You mentioned you were diagnosed at 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I described it, I was telling my mom about this, and I described it as heart-wrenching and heartwarming all at the same time. Um, it's so when I was reading through it, I just there were moments where I could just feel what you were going through. And mm-hmm. then true to your personality, every kind of the end of every um, entry there'd be a a moment of optimism. And I just heard that in your description as well, where you said, yeah, it's lifelong, but you know what, it's manageable. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind. When you first get diagnosed, you get diagnosed with something that you've never heard of, you can't pronounce, and you don't know the outcome of it. Um, So I think it's really important that once you get diagnosed or once your child or a loved one gets diagnosed and you start reading through it, it's important to really keep that in the back of your mind constantly that, it is manageable, and that you still absolutely can have a a healthy, awesome, amazing life. Um, That's something that I didn't realize when I was first diagnosed, but I've definitely come to learn that lesson, and that's probably one of the biggest lessons I want to spread when I talk about EOE, um, is that it's still an amazing life, even though you, you have it.
0: Oh, that's so great to hear. You and I have chatted about my son who's really little and that's been on my mind of how can he, what will his life be like? And to hear that you have found a way to, to live with it and almost thrive beyond it is really inspiring.
1: Yeah. I talk, I talk to a lot of, of mothers who have young children who've been diagnosed and, you know, I did, go to college i did play sports i do have a lot of friends i have definitely learned it's a process it's a journey it's not easy but it is a is a good lesson in learning how to balance something really difficult and, and working your way through it and, and still having a productive life. Um, so yes, there is hope and light at the end of the tunnel. You just kind of have to get there and then keep on going. You can't get stuck in the middle of the tunnel.
0: wow oh, that's true. Well, your story is the account of, um, your journal entries from 14 to 20. Is that about right?
1: Yes. So I was diagnosed when I was 14. Um, and then I actually did not start writing that book until I was 16. Um, I was a junior in high school, and I was in a creative writing class. And um, we had one big assignment at the end of the year. And you could either write um, like 20 different poems, or you could write a short story, or you could write a novella. So I asked my teacher, I told her I, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to start writing. So my high school assignment actually – the it was only required to be 68 pages. That book is much more than 68 pages. Um, so I, when I turned in my high school assignment, my junior year of high school, it was not finished. Um, but I still, <laughs> I got an A on the assignment, unfortunately. Um, but then, so I started writing when I was 16. That's when I started the liquid diet. Um, so that was, it was a point of pain and frustration and anger and hurt. So I started using that pain, frustration, anger, and hurt Channeling it into my writing. It was for school, but also for my mental health. And then I published it when I, yeah, I started writing when I was 16. Finished, I started, kept, continued writing even after the assignment was over because I knew I could turn this into something really cool. And then I published it when I was 20 in college.
0: Oh, that's incredible. And it really is a true gift. One of my favorite parts about it at the end of every entry, you give tips and tricks and words of wisdom. And those are aimed at how to help the patient who has it navigate it. But then also for me, more importantly, the how to help the caregiver help the patient. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so tell me, about how have people um, talked about the tips and tricks, or do you have any new ones that you would be willing to share with us now that you've um, kind of gone through college and have had a few more parts of your story unfold?
1: Yeah, well, I really, I believe highly in entertainment and getting and and having books suck you in and pull you in and, and keep you super engaged and super interested. So I really wanted the stories to be entertaining and thrilling and inspiring, But then I also wanted to pull practical pieces of information from every story because they were there. These aren't just entertaining stories. They were stories that also came with lessons. Every story I wrote, I learned something from it. So I wanted to be entertaining and be engorging, but then I also wanted to, you know, I wanted the kids and the parents or the the caretakers to actually learn something from each story, which is why I try to structure it in that, in that way. Um,
0: well, it definitely and- worked for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm glad my, uh, my purpose is, is being fulfilled with that. Um, and as far as, you know, new, new tips or tricks, um, kind of I think the, the overall theme that I pulled from that book, so one overarching tip and a trick and then a word to the wise is get your child, and if you have it yourself, um, to channel their pain into something. So EOE can be very painful. It can be isolating, right? So I couldn't go out to pizza with my friends. Um, it can be very lonely and hard to understand. So there's a lot of, of frustration and depression and anxiety that comes with it. And the the best piece of advice I can give for the, per- for the child is, as well as the parent is to take that and channel it into something. So as a parent, encourage, like whenever I was extremely angry or upset, my mom would just give me a pen and I would start writing. So she would encourage me to write and I would, I knew once I started getting to that point, I needed to go write. So to to take, take that and channel it into something that could be running, it could be music or art. um, It could be writing music or, you know, just something to actually go do physically um, to channel to channel that frustration, and I actually think a lot of people would make some really amazing things from that anger.
0: I think you're absolutely right, and and I really like the idea of replacing what's probably other people's focus on food with something tangible. So it's not just you weren't just describing like, hey, just change your mindset. I like the action-oriented nature of the advice you just gave of just go do something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go go put your hands to work. Go be a busybody and go do something. Um, I actually also got really into weightlifting um, during that time because I had to go do something. I was hungry. I I was bored. I could not eat. I could not be around my friends when they were going out on a Friday night. So I went to the gym and I got really good at weightlifting um, because it's something I could focus on. And it didn't involve food. It wasn't focused around food. And it was something I could get really good at when I was going through a time in my life where I felt really low about myself. Um, So absolutely action oriented, go do something and try a couple different things until you find something that really you're passionate about um, and that you can really pour all of your emotions into. Um, It's amazing.
0: I can't wait to hear what some people are choosing to do. So hopefully when they hear this uh, story that they too can share some of their own stories of of yeah. where have they decided to channel some of their energies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've talked a lot about the the mental health part of this. Um, I'm curious to just know more about what it was like to be a teenager. There's there are people who have reached out to me asking to know more about this the the experience of young adults going through this. Not only so they could listen to it, but as parents of young adults, so that they could support them.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a a difficult path and one that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, When you're diagnosed, the doctors typically focus on the physical. So what is happening within the body with the eosinophils? Um, you know, sometimes you parents will choose to go the steroid route, the medication route. sometimes parents will choose to go the diet route. Sometimes some people choose not to do anything. Um, but it's always the conversations are always focused around the physical body and the effects that food is going to have versus medication and, and just what's happening with the body. And I think that there definitely needs to be more conversation around the mental health aspect of it because food is ingrained in our mm. lives we schedule our day around breakfast lunch and dinner so we get a lunch break at work so we can go eat and we catch up with friends around happy hour and we get brunch or coffee with you know loved ones in the morning to catch up so so many so much of our lives are focused around food in elementary school, and this is something that a lot of parents struggle with, is teachers reward their students with food. You hear about a pizza party at the end of the year for good behavior. You hear about ice cream Sunday parties. So, so much of our culture is is around food for social and for rewards. Um, and so, when you take that away instantaneously, either you take it away 100% and you put a child on a liquid diet, or you take it away even 50%, it... It changes their social life completely, like 100%. And it's something that I think parents need to be more prepared for. And I think it's something that a child has to learn how to deal with. Um, You have to learn how to socialize without food being around, which is very, very difficult. Um, It's doable and possible. You just have to learn how to navigate it. Um, So yeah, the mental health aspect of it is huge. You don't think food plays a big part on mental health but that's because it's just like wearing clothes like you it's, a, so it's such a part of her culture it's such a normalized thing that you don't realize how 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 hard it is until it's taken away because it's such a normalized part of our culture
0: wow what a great analogy to, to think about it as clothes like if all of a sudden we couldn't wear a certain type of clothing I think it would put people in a really tough position um so th- right yeah the- <laughs> <laughs> no. And, so- it's, and, and I think that's a lot of it is we, we don't think about food. We don't think about the impacts of not being able to eat certain food until it's, you're affected by it. And right. And then- you know holidays too so fourth of july
1: you think cookouts and christmas you think christmas dinners and so there even major holidays most major events are focused around food so you think of a wedding you have the wedding cake and you know and what i think about a lot is is elementary school that was my undergrad in college was elementary ed um and teachers routinely reward students with food and i get it like it's a good way to extrinsic Extrinsically motivate children. I'm I'm all for it, but you don't realize how much of an issue it is until you have the one child who can't participate in the pizza party.
0: Yeah, and they're so young at that age. At least I notice with some of the the younger kids that they don't necessarily. Their brain isn't far enough developed to know why they aren't getting it. They just see that they're different. Right, and that's and it, on my mind a lot when it comes to helping Tyler navigate that. I don't even know how to yet, (laughs) but
1: yeah, it can be difficult because uh, in some aspects of it, they think that they're being punished, right? Right. If if all of their friends are getting candy and they are not getting candy, they think they've done something wrong. Um, On the other hand, if they, as they start to mature a little bit, you know, six years old, seven years old, they start to associate, oh, when I eat pizza, I'm in pain. Mm. Therefore, I don't want to eat pizza. It's more of a A choice. And that's actually something that I, if, if parents are listening to this and they can take away one, one piece of advice from this is the, the quicker that you can give your children choices and a feeling of authority and power, the better. EOE strips a lot of that away. It makes you feel powerless. It makes like, it makes you feel like you have no choices. Um, So when a child can feel a little bit of autonomy with their eoe and feel a little bit of like you know what i do have control over this it's actually very helpful even if that's a choice between two different formulas Mm. so if they're even completely on liquid and they have very minimal choices on their diet giving them the choice between the chocolate formula or the vanilla formula and letting them make that schedule even that small bit of autonomy and, and feeling of I have control over this can really change that conversation. It's it's not a statement of I can't eat pizza. It's a statement of I don't eat pizza.
0: Wow. That's incredible advice. And We talked about in, in a previous conversation, this idea of children who don't feel well when they eat, and t- eat certain things. Well, if they've always not felt well, they don't know that that's not normal. Yeah. And, and that
1: can be it can be difficult to, for a child to realize, oh, that's not normal. Um, and really I was thinking about this earlier cause it's, it's hard, right? How do you teach a child what pain is or how do you teach a child that that's not normal when that's the only normal they've ever felt? Um, and I think if I, if I ever am blessed enough to have children, and if I have a child and I'm obviously going to be super worried, right? If they have EOE or not, yeah. um, I think what I'm going to get them to do is start really just paying attention to the foods they eat and, and more so having a conversation after they have meals. How do you feel right now? You know, does your skin feel tingly? Do your eyes feel watery or do you feel happy? Do your ears feel itchy? So I think just kind of having more of a, trying to have some small conversations after meals and seeing if there's a pattern. So if they eat pasta and every time they eat pasta they say that their fingers feel numb well then I might start lessening their pasta intake mm. you know and and kind of going about it like that and then maybe as they get a little bit older maybe have them start journaling a little bit about their foods you know kind of like a checklist like yes I feel good no I feel weird um, just getting them to pay attention a little bit more to try to start di- differentiating between what feels good and what doesn't feel good.
0: That's a great idea. This, you know, helping them create self awareness. As a yes. kid, I just I didn't know anything about my body. I didn't know what felt good and didn't because I didn't have to. So I can see that this would be really valuable to get kids, even at a young age, to start recognizing when they like what they feel or when they don't like what they feel. So that's that's really good counsel. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um. So one of the parts of your book that I thought was incredible was called eat like Danielle. Yes. (laughs) Um, And this was a story where it sounded like maybe some kids were not being so nice, um, which I would love to understand like how you deal with some bullying or teasing. And in your story, you did turn it around in a, in a pretty interesting way. Could you share a little bit about that experience? Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: so definitely part of my personality I have a little bit of sassiness and a little bit of spunk to me, and when I was in high school, I was going through, I believe during this time, I was not completely on the liquid diet, but I was on a very, very restrictive diet. I think I only had five or six foods, Um, so it it was pretty restrictive. I had five or six foods plus the formula, and high school kids, as we all know, they're not fully developed. They're not that mature. Yeah, I had some people on my side, but I definitely had some people not on my side. Um, and I would be sitting at the lunch table eating my sweet potatoes and my beef, which I ate every single day. And kids made fun of me saying that, you know, oh, look what I can eat. <laughs> I'm drinking chocolate milk. Ooh, I can have the mashed potatoes. Um, ooh, I can have a burger. Like, I would hate to only have sweet potatoes. How do you live, Danielle? Um, I would die if I could only eat sweet potatoes every day. And eventually, I was, I was like, I don't have a choice. This is not my decision. This is not what I want to do. And the fact that you're making fun of something that I can't control really gets under my skin. And I thought to myself, you couldn't do it. You could not do what I do every single day. And I actually remember it was in February. It was the week after Valentine's. And I went on Facebook, and I was somewhat well-known throughout the high school. I, I I knew a good majority of the kids. And I made an event on Facebook called Eat Like Danielle for a Week. And I <laughs> typed up the event description, and I said, I bet you can't do it. And I listed all the foods I was completely restricted from and all the foods I can eat. And I invited half of our high school it, I invited probably 200 kids oh to this my thing. gosh <laughs> and I, I invited them a week in advance so I invited them in fe- like February 7th and it was going to start February 15th the day after Valentine's Day I thought I would be kind and let them enjoy all of their sugary February 14th Valentine's Day sweets and it would start on the 15th and I basically just challenged them and said step up to the plate wow you know you think that you think that you can do this like I want you to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and I think I, I think like 40 people signed up to do it, 40 random kids throughout the high school. Um, and it was amazing. I got kids coming up to me throughout the week saying, Danielle, like, this is hard. Like, this is not fun. I I don't want to do this. Some of them quit, you know, after a day or two, some of them stuck it out, um, but came up to me and apologized afterwards. Um, so it was actually, a, a, I would say, a pretty great success, and it, I definitely had to have a little bit of fire behind me to do that, um, but it, it worked out great, and I, I challenged other people to do it. It was difficult. It, it took a little bit of, of bravery, um, but it, it really – some kids that put them in their place, some kids it opened their eyes um, and some kids, it, it made them just have a little bit more sympathy and understanding for someone else's shoes.
0: <laughs> That's such an incredible story. And yes, your fire is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the sense that that has served you really well in other areas of your life, um, including your most recent accomplishment of, of graduating with your master's. Congratulations.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have my master's in education.
0: Incredible, And I understand that you went to Bali and I would love to hear because when I heard that, I I actually got really excited to think about all the travel possibilities, even with EOE. And so tell me about that. What was it like to go to a place like Bali and how do you navigate leaving home? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) So I definitely, one, don't recommend travel like that until you have your EOE under control. So had I been on like a completely liquid diet, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, so I, I do recommend having it, you know, to where you feel confident and capable to travel before you go out to um, a country like Bali because there's not as many resources out there. You, if you're in Bali and you get really sick and you need Benadryl or you need an EpiPen, you might not find it as quickly as you do in South Carolina or Florida. So I definitely recommend feeling confident and capable and safe enough with your EOE before you go out and travel. Um, but then, you know, I say go for it. I absolutely do not want anyone's EOE to ever limit what they can do. Yeah, I might say wait a couple of years until you have it under control, but I'm not saying don't go, I'm just saying wait. Um, I don't want anyone not to travel, not to have great experiences, not to go to college because of their EOE. There's always ways around it. Um, so I booked my trip for Bali and I did a couple of tours and every time there was a tour that um, meals were included, I just gave him a little note and said, you know what, here's what I can't eat. Um, either, I would love it if you could provide an alternative, but if not, I'll figure it out. I'll grab some food on the way um, and we'll make it work. So definitely, I, me personally, I don't like making a big deal out of it. I'm not going to be the one at the table you know, when we're out on the tour group saying, Nope, I can't eat that. That's not for me. I'll just say, no, thank you. Um, uh, and, and, and they'll keep on moving. Um, definitely possible. And, and places so many places now, um, are understanding of food allergies. And typically that's my other piece of advice. I, I don't get into, I'm not going to tell the Balinese waitress that I have EOE, <laughs> right? It's, it's too long of a conversation. I just say that I have food allergies. Sure. Um, I also don't say I don't like that because that can be rude in other cultures. I just say I have food allergies. And most people nowadays understand what an allergy is, what a mm. food allergy is. So I just say, nope, I'm allergic to that or, oh, I have a food allergy to that. You know, please keep going. Um, That's- incredible. Highly recommend Bali. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Well, I want to go. And just hearing you say like, just don't let this this diagnosis hold you back. I'm hoping we'll be really... Um, inspiring to others. I know it's inspiring to me and I'm excited to think about all the things that Tyler will get to do, regardless of maybe some of the things he might not be able to.
1: Yes. And I definitely think it's just a conversation of, you know, you have to go through the journey of learning how to manage it. Um, And then once you learn how to manage it, and once you figure out what works for you, then, then you're good then you, you have a life just like everyone else. You know, you do not let food dictate you, you dictate what food you eat. It's the conversation of, I can't eat that versus I don't eat that. It's right. a power. It's a, it's a position of power of no, I just don't eat that. No, thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no ambiguity about it. There's no brain juice that you have to waste on it. It's just, no, that that's not what I do. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Well, your mindset I think is such a is such a compelling difference for for maybe someone who might succumb to it and and feel like they're limited. Um can you tell us more about how you you know what you do to get yourself into a good mindset even if maybe there's a moment where otherwise you might not? Yeah, honestly,
1: I think about still how much worse it could be and how lucky I am. Oh, you know, I still have the ability to go out for a run and I still have the ability to complete a graduate program. Um, So I know that it can be cliche and someone who's going through their journey right now of learning how to manage their EOE, they're probably rolling their eyes at me because in the moment it's painful and it hurts and you don't see how it could get worse, but genuinely it could be worse. Um, And so when you're in those moments of, true pain like your throat is hurting you and you know your your skin is throbbing and it hurts and or those moments of mental pain of no one's ever going to understand what i'm going through and they just don't get it i i it really for me it helps me to remind myself yeah but at least that i at least i have a diagnosis at -hmm. least i actually can put a name to my pain some people aren't even there yet so at least you you understand what's happening even if it's awful and at least, you know, you do have a family that loves you and is at least trying to help you or at least trying to understand. Some people don't have that. Um, so you really have to go back to the basics of what you do have and realize that those basics are not basics for other people.
0: Oh, that is that's really true and very easy to forget. So thank you for that really great reminder.
1: Yeah.
0: You talked about you have done that um, the formula diet and you've done other restrictions if you're willing to share, how how do you manage it now? Or how have you kind of figured it out?
1: So currently I am on steroids. Um, I know in my book, when I, when I wrote the book, I was really focused on the food route, you know, taking away foods, adding back on foods, going on elemental. Um, However, once I got into college, once I got into my master's program, For me, it was more manageable for me to go the medication route. Um, I've been on medication for almost four years now. This November will be four years. And, you know, people have a lot of pros and cons about the medication route. Um, It can be great, but also, as most people know, it's a Band-Aid. It's not going to work forever. Eventually, my medication is going to stop working, and I'm probably going to have to go back to restricting food, Um, maybe adding in some formula. Um, it really I think what people have to remember with EOE is that it is completely unique to every single person. What I do is not going to work for anyone else in this world. And what Tyler does, it's going to be completely different than what I do. It's really about finding what works for you and that's the hard part is going through that journey of figuring out if it's food or medication or a combination of both. For me right now, it's medication. It used to be food. I probably have to go back to food once medication kind of wears off. You have to learn how to be flexible with it and find out what works for you is not going to work for someone else.
0: Oh, wow. And that, in a way, that's comforting because if your experience isn't matching someone else's, that's okay. And then for me as a caregiver, I'm sort of like, oh, darn, I kind of wanted the checklist. (laughs) Right. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted the, 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 the easy way of saying, okay, if I do this, then he'll be fine. So it just gears me up for our own journey and, and helping him figure out what works for him too.
1: Yeah. And it, it'll it have to, it might change from elementary school to high school, right? In elementary school, it might be easier to restrict more foods because you as a parent have more control over it. And then he's in high school, right? So he, he might want to cheat more <laughs> or <laughs> a whole nother conversation or, you know, go out with his friends more. So you might look at medication. It it really, it changes as your life changes. Um, I think that's important to remember.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and you, through your book and through the different blog posts that you've written, you've really become an advocate for all of us who are going through this. And I know many people reach out to you and you're so kind to respond. What are some of the questions that they ask you that maybe someone else might not have asked yet or known where to go with a question like that?
1: It really actually kind of relates um, to what, what we just talked about. I get a lot of questions about what should I do? Yeah. Uh, kind of these blanket, you know, parents, they, they want the checklist. They want, what are the nine steps I have to do to get my child healthy again? Um, so I get these kind of blanket statements of, should I do elemental? Right. Well, I, I have no clue where, where, where he's been or where he's coming from. Um, so I really think, it's, it's hard you you want the answers straight out of the book but and that's the hard part of the journey is there there are no direct answers you, you literally have to go through it to figure it out um, that it, it is completely unique to every single person
0: and now how do we help people stay the course and stay positive and and not feel so isolated I think so two parts one is is establishing that community really,
1: reaching out, researching, finding books like mine, finding Facebook groups, finding people like you listening to podcasts like yours, um, reading blogs, kind of hearing other people's stories, hearing my story and realizing. So one, establishing that community. And then once you establish that community and make, make those relationships and those contacts, realizing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. That you're in the tunnel right now, and you just have to keep going one day after another, sludging through it, you know, getting through the mud, and you will get through it because you're strong and you're a fighter and you can pull, you know, inspiration from these other people in this
0: community that have also done it. Yes. And taking stock, like you said, of really saying, okay, wait a minute, it's not all bad. And a lot of times when I need a chance to see where I am, as I look back to see where I've come, and that Mm -hmm. can also be helpful to say, you know, a year ago, to your point, we didn't even have the diagnosis for Tyler. And we were in what I called the survival mode. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what was going on, good, bad, or indifferent. And so by looking backwards, I can see how far we have come, even if the journey ahead seems a little bit daunting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, even to have a diagnosis is is five steps ahead of some people. Um, For sure. And they would would love to have a diagnosis, so I completely agree.
0: Yeah. Well, and I was also struck by uh, the foundation that your family has set for you and the role that they played in your your journey and your diagnosis Uh, could you tell a little bit more about your your family experience yes um so i definitely think if you
1: have eoe or if you have someone who has eoe in your life family is super important because eoe can be very isolating it can be very lonely um so to have that family component and to have someone that's behind you at all times through the good the bad and the ugly is is vital Um, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to, to not have many people around you while going through it. Um, I think that would be even more isolating and, and, and difficult. Um, so, you know, and as a family, it was difficult for my parents and my brother to watch me go through it. They couldn't feel what I was going through. They could watch and they could buy formula for me and my mom could hug me. Um, But they could not physically feel what I was going through, and that hurt them. As much as I was hurting going through it, it hurt them to watch me go through it. Um, And so I think the biggest thing, you know, that families can do for each other while going through this journey is just be communicative. Like, have completely open communication. um, Because once the walls are put up and the talking stops, it's extremely isolating. And the, the kid doesn't feel... Like they have that support. Um, so I think talking constantly, how are you feeling, you know, well, how are you feeling mom watching me go through this? And I think it's important for the parents to open up too and say, it is difficult for me to watch you go through this. And I do want to help you as much as possible. And I am trying my best. And as much as you don't know how to go through EOE, I don't either. Um, so I think communication, you know, the, the good communication, the ugly communication, um, I think all of it is extremely important.
0: Wow. And as a parent, that's not a role that I had necessarily considered my vulnerability and my willingness mm-hmm. to to say to my son at some point, you know, like, this is hard for me too, because for whatever reason. So I will definitely keep that in mind and just and I think, being I think open. That's Im- yeah.
1: I, I think that's important because sometimes the child can think I'm the only one going through pain. Mm. You know, I'm the only one suffering. So for a mom or a dad to say, hey, no, this hurts me too. I'm suffering too, because I love you and you're suffering. That can really open up the child's eyes and get like, oh, well, you
0: know, we're going through pain
1: together, right? It's mm-hmm. not as isolating as I thought. We're both hurting just in different ways.
0: Well, the the level of, of commitment to one another and, and openness, I think really could make a big difference. So that's a great way to think about you know, being there for each other in probably different ways than maybe we had considered before absolutely oh well that's really amazing and and your mom sounds like she um really was in it with you just from some of the stories that you told and your brother made that really cool um cover to the yes. to your book so um they were definitely in it with you for sure absolutely my whole my whole family um
1: you know was extremely supportive and I definitely would not be where I am if it was not for my dad my mom and my brother
0: oh that's amazing well and then speaking of where you are you've got some amazing things um coming up for you where you are in life and all the the excitement that comes with being um, a graduate taking on new jobs what are you optimistic about whether it's about EOE or just what's ahead for you
1: yeah um Definitely, so I start my new job next week, so extremely excited and Yay. ready for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm currently in Orlando, Florida. That's where I'm based from. So excited to start that job and and see what possibilities lie ahead with that. Um, as far as specifically EOE is concerned, I'm really if if you're not following the Facebook page, um, the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, they do a lot of work in eoe um, and they post updates constantly i'm really excited about the work that they're doing um, because obviously it affects me directly and it affects so many other people um, and i think they're making a lot of research when it comes to uh, moving well identifying which cells specifically are responsible for eoe um, as far as in the genome and then as well as working around ways uh, past um, the endoscopies to, to do more blood tests, um, which would be way less invasive, yeah. way less costly, quicker. Um, you could do them more often, things like that. So just the, the, the research in general at Cincinnati Children's, they're definitely making leaps and strides. Um, and if not for me, then for the generation after me, which I'm excited about as well.
0: Oh, I can't wait to, to see what they come up with. And I'm also very optimistic about what I'm reading, even though that's a lot to make, you know, make sense of it all. I can sense, I can tell that we're really onto some really um, groundbreaking things. Definitely. Yeah. So we have talked about a ton and we could talk about a ton more. Is there <laughs> is there anything else that you were hoping we'd cover today or things that you wanted to offer up? You know, I think the very last thing, and I, I mentioned it briefly, um, As
1: far as having open communication within the family, I think it's super important that you tell your children, especially when they get into middle school and high school, that if they cheat, if they're on a strict diet and they cheat, they need to tell you. Mm. Uh, I really, food for me became a very shameful thing. I did cheat. Um, I was on really restrictive diets and I was 13 and I would sneak off to a friend's house and I didn't drink alcohol, but I I ate a granola bar. (laughs) Right. I mean, that was kind of the level I was at. Um, And so if your child cheats, they're not going to want to tell you they're going to be ashamed. They might get sick from it or they could just be ashamed and fearful of messing up the trial, getting in trouble with the doctors. But, you have to know as the parent so you can talk to the doctor about next steps. So having that open and honest communication of if you cheat, please tell me so we can work through it together. I think is super, super important.
0: Are there any ways that parents can do that? I even think about how would I, how would I go about having Tyler know that he can confide in me? Is there anything that would work? I think that to, to tell them that you're one, you're not
1: going to get in trouble, right? You're, that this is a very difficult thing for anyone to do. So you're, they're not perfect and that you understand that it's okay to make mistakes and, and almost like leveling with them at a certain age that most people eating food is not a mistake. So for them to have to go through this trial and they're, they're very strong and they're very mature. um, And that one that they're just—they're not going to get in trouble, and then two, it, it's okay. You know, you'll yeah. work through it together. You will work through the consequences together. And then three, if they're you know old enough and mature enough that they're going through a unique situation where they view food as illegal in the first place, so the fact that they're having to go through that, they're mature and they're strong, and and most people don't have to to go through that.
0: That's a that's a good way to think about it. The, I think you're right that it, a diagnosis like this does force you to kind of grow up differently and maybe faster than other kids. And so trusting in that too as a parent would be helpful.
1: Yeah, and I I think when I was, you know, 15, I I was mature enough to see the consequences of if I eat this granola bar, it's costing my parents money because yeah. it's going to push back a trial, right? So I have an endoscopy coming up in 3 weeks fight this granola bar now we're going to have to push back the endoscopy we're going to have to get other plane tickets the doctors are going to be mad that i'm having to reschedule this scope so i really started to see further consequences um which made me then want to hide it even more because eating a granola bar had major you know repercussions um but i also was not perfect and so you know you know telling your child hey even though there are going to be serious consequences you still got to tell me we're going to work through it together and and we'll get, i'll be there by your side
0: oh thank um, you for that advice i think that's something i wouldn't have thought of and so hearing that and understanding the situation is really really helpful
1: yes of course i i i love talking about this because you know i've been through it so absolutely i should share my thoughts and my words um because if i can
0: help even one person then it's, it's been worth it, I think for me. Well, And I know you've helped way more than one person (laughs) and I wanted to just encourage people to get your book, which is out. I bought it on Amazon. Is it anywhere else you'd recommend people to get it? Yeah. So, um, it's on Amazon also on Barnes and Noble and books a million.
1: Um, so if you, if you prefer one of those, but yeah, I think Amazon's a pretty easy place um, for everyone to buy it. Super easy. Um, also, you can leave a review. I like oh. getting
0: the reviews on Amazon. For <laughs> I sure. Like for sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to go out there right now and do that. Cause you're right. I hadn't done that. And I just want to <laughs> remind everybody that it's called my real world guide for eosinophilic esophagitis by Danielle Travis. And Danielle, I just can't thank you enough for your time today and all of the support you've given to this entire community. So thank you for sharing your story and for just being there for all of us.
1: Yes. Well, and thank you for having me on and allowing me to share my story. Absolutely. Well, good luck in your
0: next chapter. We're all watching and can't wait to hear how it goes. Perfect. Thank you so much.